This is More Than Therapy Podcast. More Than Therapy. This is More Than Therapy. More Than Therapy Podcast. This is More Than Therapy. More Than Therapy Podcast. This is More Than Therapy Podcast. and Felipe Christopher Blue will be discussing therapy regarding our perspective therapeutic practices and the world that we live in that needs our services more than ever. Amy, how are you doing today? I'm good. You're absolutely right. Uh, the world definitely needs therapy and therapeutic services more than ever. Uh, hi, and welcome to Talk Therapy also. This is a special crossover episode with the More Than Therapy podcast. I'm here today with F. Christopher Blue, a.k.a. Mr. Blue, who's a therapist, podcaster, and author of Post-Pandemic Depression and Anxiety and Strategies to Effectively Manage It. Is that right? Something like that. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know. All I say is pandemic workbook. <laughs> yes, totally. And we'll talk a little bit about the book maybe toward the end of the this kind of co-interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Mr. Blue's podcast, More Than Therapy, uh, is a wonderful variety podcast um, about a number of mental health topics. And most episodes are short and sweet, bite-sized. Uh, definitely check it out after this. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Amy, tell us about your podcast for my listening audience, because I really want them to have more exposure to mental health bites or blurbs or anecdotes or, you know, interviews that can help them. Uh, Most of my listening audience are based on people from NAMI um, and people from therapeutic practices that I collaborate with as it's very prominent on brochures that I give out as well as, um, I put it in the training tab and in the ending where I give my, who was trained by. So I do a lot of trainings in the area for mental health professionals. And um, this would be a good way for them to get, you know, additional, more support regarding, you know, services. Some people don't actually reach out a lot of times. Sometimes the the most they get is through um, a YouTube or a podcast or uh, Instagram post or Facebook post. Yeah, there are a lot of barriers to therapy, I agree. So, you know, a lot of folks um, won't actually enter the the therapy room, although hopefully maybe they will someday, but there is some stigma. Um, but there are access issues too when it comes to insurance and financing. So I totally get it. Uh, my podcast is primarily psychoeducational, but I am a licensed therapist. So I bring that perspective into the podcast. Um, I'd like to kind of discuss fringe topics that aren't often... Um, that a lot of therapists even didn't have exposure to maybe in grad school. So I like to just bring in um, some perspectives that maybe have not been considered by professionals. And at the same time, I like to make it accessible to uh, just kind of regular people too. I wanna make sure that we explain the languaging, that we explain the concepts um, so that anybody can listen and um, and gain from the podcast. Uh, I'm a a intersectional feminist adventure therapist. And so uh, feminist psychotherapy and adventure therapy are always kind of woven into the episodes and I would say that um, I like to focus on at least aspects of social justice in every episode I think that's pretty important to consider and it's so intertwined with mental health 
indeed, indeed. My podcast, like you said before, a lot of short bites, blurbs, just some thoughts of the day. Every now and then we get a nice, beautiful interview with someone like you, Amy Gordon, in which we get to learn a different perspective and broader perspective. And sometimes we get to learn an experience that they normally wouldn't think about, you know. Um, Connecticut is a lot different from South Carolina, which is a lot different from Arizona. And But interconnectedness, we all have a, an underlying story or something that we can connect to that let, me, let people know that we're not alone in this world and that I'm going through this and somebody else might be going through this or somebody else might be able to help with an issue that I'm going through as well just by their story, by their declaration to normalize, to destigmatize, because a lot of times people feel like they're trapped in a bubble just based on the culture, just based on their experiences. And so they don't feel like they're even able to express themselves, but to hear people openly talk about their issues is an eye opener for them to re for recovery and wellness. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so you and I met online, uh, just in, in a chat group, and we were talking about mental health podcasts and and the topic came up of uh, anxiety and depression. And I, it's on one level so basic. A lot of people struggle with both or uh, one or the other, depression and anxiety. Um, but I know that I've been so personally affected by depression and anxiety in my own life that um, as I was kind of thinking about doing a podcast on uh, these topics or this topic, um, I really became inspired to kind of talk about my own story in conjunction with some of the theories and methodologies and just what we know about um, depression and anxiety. All right, let's do that. Yeah, uh, awesome. Would you like I'll, to I'll start if you don't, you know, I, I mean, I give a little, a bite if, you, if we can just go back and forth. Sure, yeah, whatever you want to do. Like, I've got the, I've got questions. Um, that I wanted to ask you that I have some responses to as well. So I'm all about just doing this organically and having a chat. <laughs> so just go for it. Anxiety and depression was very prominent in my life prior to the pandemic. I was, I was seeking therapy. I had a great therapist named Emily. And so she um, gave me action plans and she held me accountable for, you know, adhering to those action plans. Emily had bigger dreams. <laughs> So Emily transitioned to another job because she wanted to work with rape survivors. And I had to respect that. Of course, I had to respect that. You know, do what you do, Emily. I'm proud of you. So I got transitioned to another therapist. This time I was paired with a male therapist. That didn't work as well because he wanted to work on mindfulness. My issues don't work well with breathing techniques and mindfulness per se. My issues are kind of prominent in what's going on around me at the time. And I, and I disconnected because it just wasn't working for me then the pandemic hit and everybody was feeling anxiety and depression around me some dealt with it better than others I dealt with it by isolating to some degree withdrawing to some degree but then that allowed me to focus on one writing a book two developing online trainings and stuff to help through NAMI to help other people through this storm in all actuality we worked through the storm together Yeah, I can't wait to check out your book either. <laughs> I bet you've got it. But, it, you know, I think that's really common for therapists, too, to have their own kind of mental health um, struggle or inspiration or maybe even this sense of like having been fortified through our own experiences. And we can apply those to helping others um, at some point in our lives. So I, I think that that story is 
uh, pretty common and it, I like it totally echoes in my own life like I I've had a similar experience I really think of like anxiety and depression as being uh, two sides of the same coin and there are reasons for that and we, we can get into that in a little bit but um, when I was a child I was extremely extremely anxious all the time I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional environment with um, folks with a lot of mental health issues so I always felt like I had to walk on eggshells or something and um, also, we can talk more about this later, but children who are uh, in environments that are relatively or severely dysfunctional develop a nervous system that um, that really keeps them in a survival state in that environment. So. Uh, that absolutely happened for me. So as a child, I was really anxious, a lot of OCD behaviors, um, picking at my skin. And like, uh, if I thought a curse word, I would excuse myself from class to go pray in the bathroom. I do like 50 Hail Marys. Like it was, I did a lot of like really um, anxious ritual kind of stuff. Um, and as I became a teenager, I became very, very depressed. Um, and once again, there are reasons for that in the inner relationship between anxiety and depression that I will totally nerd out about when I get the opportunity. Um, but uh, I was suicidal. Um, I was definitely uh, using a lot of substances and stuff to self-medicate. And um, yeah, early, so early in my 20s, I started going to therapy. And I really started doing um, some pretty intensive therapies like EMDR. Um, and I, you know, I did that stuff for years and did a lot of trauma recovery. Um, I've been in therapy for over a decade. I have done tons of different types of therapy. And ultimately for me, what has been um, most helpful after exploring different therapeutic modalities has been medication. Uh, quite frankly, I think that a lot of folks who have endured um, sort of lifelong trauma um, have developed a nervous system that doesn't snap back. It isn't quite as resilient as people who have isolated instances of trauma um, because it's really been, it, you know, for me, I, I'll be 36, this month, which I, I'll be, I'll be releasing my my version of this podcast in February. So I'll be 36 when y'all are listening to this, and um, so that's 36 years of uh, basically developing um, a nervous system. Although I would say that you know, starting in my 20s, so for a little, maybe a little over a decade, I've been doing work to heal that, but. Um, I do think of medication as being really necessary for helping me function like in a quote unquote normal way at this point. Um, but I, I do really, really value therapy. I think that there's so many modalities that are so valuable. And um, I think that for some people doing therapy in conjunction with medication is really the best option. So my story in a, in a nutshell. Well, and I agree and I agree. Um... As far as medication, yeah, I agree with that, that whole concept. Um, medication didn't work for me at first because of the type of psychiatrist I was going to. Um, also, um, my diagnoses are as follows. Bipolar 2, PTSD, anxiety. So mm -hmm. I guess there's a lot of intermix between the bipolar 2 and the PTSD. So, you know, the doctors probably want to treat more of that. These are military doctors, military psychiatrists. And it was not really addressing the depression as much you know what i'm saying so a lot of times it will push me more into mania also like you mentioned substance use issues a lot of maladaptive behaviors a lot of things that hurt me and could have prevented me from being where i am today but where there's a will there's a way that yesterday does not have to define today and thank god for that we move accordingly um Today, I'm on a, a regimen that seems to be working for me at times. 
but you know, you're saying you can't depend on one or the other. It's a balancing act, medication skills, medication skills, and stay with that. And know your warning signs, know your triggers, and you know, navigate your life accordingly. And you know, make sure you have the right people around you. I think 2020, I think it was a blessing and a curse. And the blessing was it allowed me to remove things that did not serve me anymore negative things that didn't serve me anymore people that were taken from me and not giving back to me not reciprocating and i'm in a much better place today that i'm not even as symptomatic as i was 12 months ago 18 months ago at all actually in fact today's a beautiful day <laughs> really beautiful day um and will you tell folks what what's up with the beard today today uh oh, this day that we're recording is the uh, inauguration of uh, President Biden and Kamala Harris. And I've been waiting for this day for four years. <laughs> uh, once again, I can echo that. So uh, that's what it is. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a nationalist. I'm not even, I'm not even a typically your typical American. I come from Haiti. Um, but today, I'm proud. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think it's really cool to explore um, diagnoses, too. I, uh, there are certain, you know, and no diagnosis is like the be-all, end-all, like perfect definition of what somebody's experiencing. It's just a cluster of symptoms that kind of have, <laughs> like, belong together in ways that, that a lot of people have similar clusters of, of um, you know, symptoms. But uh, yeah, I've actually been misdiagnosed as being bipolar too, but really it's a, it's the way that my anxiety and depression vacillate. I don't really actually get manic. I just, you know, I have more intense anxiety and insomnia at times, but uh, yeah, I've also been on a gamut of medications uh, working with that. But my primary diagnoses currently are uh, generalized anxiety disorder, um, dysthymic disorder, and PTSD also very familiar with that stimmy disorder. That's my ex-wife's diagnosis. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when therapists get together, we knew that like this. Right, right, right. She um, avoided the therapy trap because um, military, she didn't want it on her record. She felt it would um, impact her ability to move forward in her career. So she just suffered silently. That's so unfortunate. And I, I really hope that, um, you know, shows like ours and all sorts of just like, you know, mental health for the masses, whatever that looks like, whether it's, you know, it's a therapist on a reality TV show or whatever it is, whatever we can all do to help destigmatize mental health care is really important work. So um, if you don't mind me asking you a few questions, uh, Mr. Blue, I've got, got a handful for you. Okay, okay. Okay, well, um, the first question is just, you know, what are the kind of, or what are theories or um, I guess a theory or is there any kind of theory or theories? Like, oh my gosh, let me repeat that. Do you, <laughs> what theory or theories about anxiety and depression do you most subscribe to? Uh, like which ones make the most sense to you or what, or how do you think of anxiety and depression? Um, like you said before, I find that anxiety and depression are two sides of the same coin. Um, a lot of times when people get anxious, they become depressed because of it, or attributes of it cause them to become depressed, and vice versa. I'm, I'm more of a solution-focused therapist, so we look at the solutions, we look at strategies, we develop action plans to alleviate the stressor for you to move forward, and I find that to be very effective. Some therapists I know, they might do um, look at the past, psychoanalysts, and things like that. Um, 
I find that might be useful at sometimes, but I don't know how long somebody might stay in therapy. So, you know, I'm not saying it's a, a quick fix, but if this is your primary issue and this is what's bothering you, this is what's going on, let's focus on that. I want to work on the other stuff that drove it. That's fine. But I find that if you're able to alleviate the stressor, talk about the stressor, you know, develop a plan around it, and, it, and it no longer is, it's no longer an issue for you. Do you really need to figure out that you were at five years old, this happened, so therefore I'm not, this is why I act this way. You're not going to act that way no more if you're utilizing the strategies that you develop regarding your issues in a lot of cases. Now, of course, you know, extreme trauma and things like that, you probably have to do a lot more, you know, of course, establishing the coping skills and then, you know, figuring out the triggers that happened then, which is bothering you now. But then you might have to make more of a connection. And that's a very delicate tightrope. Um, I also find that even concepts of um, dialectical behavioral therapy is beneficial. Um, I never tell them there's dialectical behavioral therapy because some, for some reason, people really, really hate that term. <laughs> I mean, first of all, it sounds boring, but second of all, there is kind of this um, implication that somebody has a personality disorder if they're engaging in DBT, which is not true, not necessarily true. But often. <laughs> because I also have a high, um, my caseload has a significant a number of people with um, that were previously or currently diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. They feel like my particular skill traits are able to um, address those issues. Oftentimes, I would say 60% of the times, that's not even their diagnosis, you know what I'm saying? Um, after working with them, figuring out what's really going on, is it was just the way maybe when they presented in the assessment based on their history that it, it alluded to that. You know, I can always, much of the time, knock it back down to bipolar disorder or, in some cases, major depression disorder. Yeah, I mean, in the way that I learned about personality disorders is very much like trauma and or very much like depression and anxiety. Um, it's really the root is really trauma. So, in effect, you're kind of doing the same thing. You're you're working with that trauma and you're learning new responses to that. Makes sense. I love solution focused. I, I love that you're doing that work. That's something I was really interested in. And you know, there's just not enough time to like learn everything. But I think we both have we both work with really integrated um, therapeutic modalities. But um, that is what you know. You you're like, okay, what's this? What's the most imminent need? Let's address that. And you you just focus on the most imminent thing. And uh, I don't do a lot of that, but I, I really appreciate it. Um, for me, I'm really into polyvagal theory. I really adore um, really the theory's explanation for why and how um, depression and anxiety manifest. And in short, uh, the theory states that anxiety and depression are natural survival strategies in essence, that we are, you know, as human beings, we're animals and we do have these survival responses. So anxiety um, or like in polyvagal theory, we refer to it as hyperarousal. Uh, sometimes there are other states of hyperarousal like anger, for instance. But but anxiety or hyperarousal keeps us alert so that we can respond through fight or flight instincts to any impending danger. And uh, depression or hypoarousal results if we have, um, and often unconsciously, determined that fighting or fleeing would be futile. Like, you know, if a child is powerless in a situation with an adult perpetrator, um, we might freeze in a situation like that, or a child might go into freeze, um, which results in not only like a physical numbing of pain, um, but sometimes dissociation because the trauma is just too much to comprehend and uh, strategic survival reasons that exist in the animal world, like 
uh, playing possum. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that term before, but possums actually do this. They go into this state where uh, their heart rate slows down, their, their temperature drops. They, they're, it's like almost this like in-between state where they're, they're just really unconscious. Like, um, But anyway, playing possum, uh, it turns off predators. So if a predator believes their prey is already dead, it's less likely to try to hunt it. So the natural world is wise and human animals are absolutely a part of nature. So um, when we're recovering from anxiety and depression, we've got to like thank that anxiety and depression because it's, um, it's wise and it's kept us alive. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some really good footage of um, animals coming out of um, kind of shut down states and how they have to actually move the energy out of their bodies through like shaking and stuff and um, you know some of the recovery methods for anxiety and depression or trauma um, are really the same. Like we we do a lot of somatic work. Say the body holds the memory of the trauma. It absolutely does. Yeah. And it's actually, it's literally like an energy that's stuck in the body that, that needs to be moved or, you know, it doesn't need to be moved, but if you want to feel better, um, you're going to want to do some work to help move that energy out. And you usually have to go through the pain though. You have to go through the experience. Um, yeah. And actually when it comes to depression, um, depression is actually just kind of like a, a layer, like deeper in your brain. So, um, basically there's like the lizard brain the mammal brain and then the human brain or you could you could say like the um the cerebellum the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex but those are all they've all evolutionarily developed like in that um sort of hierarchy and so so i have a i have a cat howling um and so uh, depression really occurs in this like the deepest like lizard brain um this the cerebellum and anxiety is more in the limbic system which is more mammalian um so the work is really when we go into shutdown and we're stuck in that lizard brain we actually have to go through anxiety we have to go through hyperactivation in order to get back to like regulation um it's really interesting stuff the the neuroscience behind it all sounds very interesting i never heard it explained that way before i'm definitely going to look into it when i'm after this interview or discussion yeah it's yeah juicy stuff um so stephen porges is the the theorist on um on polyvagal theory and um so i'm trying to think of the name of the the author of like the waking the tiger and um oh my gosh i can't believe it's like fleeing my brain right now because i just love love his work but anyway there's a lot of uh, neurobiology research a lot of information books and all of that out there so pick them up they're not only for therapists they're for regular folks to read and learn also um so we we did talk a little bit about modalities mr blue is there anything else you want to say about kind of the way that you work with depression and anxiety um with clients Oh, you know, I just meet them where they're at. Like I said, solution focus. I also use a tool that I um, learned about and I use it very readily. It's called the Wellness Recovery Action Plan. And um, that's actually one of the talking points of every session. I mean, how you relate to how you're utilizing the Wellness Recovery Action Plan. Um, if they call in a crisis, that's one of the first things I might bring up besides, you know, assessing for suicidality or something like that is your, their utilization of the Wellness Recovery Action Plan. And it's organic, so it grows with them as they learn new skill sets. As Billy might not be you know, hip to journaling, 
and maybe in a session we journaled and had a journal entry which he spoke about or wrote about and so now that's one of his go-tos so found it beneficial but maybe he got away from it so and that's that's you know talking to him about his wellness tools his um general maintenance tools and things like that can assist him with reducing anxiety or depression or you know crisis state you know helping them understand their warning signs before they even get to the point where they're, you know, hot pepper vigilant regarding crises or depression or any of those things. Cutting it off before it becomes too much of an issue. Getting it, addressing it through a train, through a strategy before it becomes too big of an issue to deal with effectively. Catch it early, deal with it effectively. I think a lot of therapists use uh, something like that or like a safety plan and they it's very static you know it's very like oh we developed this I put it in your file you I gave you a copy who God only knows what you did with it but I love that you like keep it alive as an organic living dynamic document that you keep working on and referring to that's great I mean, it's, it's really more of a help for me than for them probably because you know it's like oh gosh what's going on <laughs> so let's so let's you do like oh okay we got that I keep a copy on my phone, so and I, my phone syncs with my iPad and my um, MacBook, so I always have it on me. I always have access to it, so that's very beneficial. Yeah, that's great. You know, anxiety and depression aren't really specific, uh, I guess, targets for some of the therapy that I do, but you know, it's always kind of woven in. Um, and like I said, you know, I see depression and anxiety as being different sides of the same coin, you know, basically being the nervous system's attempt to regulate through pendulation between hyper and hypo aroused states. Um, so I think it's important to honor the nervous system's impulses and listen to the wisdom of the body. Um, and we call this um, interoception in the field. So that's looking within. Um, so I like to assist clients in developing interoception. Um, I think it's a really great way to help them begin to recognize what's going on inside of them. And that awareness uh, of what's going on really opens up a lot of possibilities. Um, so you can do powerful work uh, through a lot of the modalities that both you and I use. Um, but some of the ones that I use more frequently are somatic, gestalt, and adventure therapy. So doing kind of novel um, things to gain insight into like our responses. Um, you know, and I think an important consideration is that sometimes uh, we're working with a client to alleviate their depression. Um, and like I mentioned before, like getting out of depression often requires at least a momentary entry into anxiety. So um, I think it's important to mention that is a part of informed consent that like in working on depression, you might actually experience a little more anxiety as a result. Um, and it, you know, it rarely occurs the other way around um, because of just the way that neurology works. Um, but yeah, anxiety is, you know, basically the activation of the body's instincts to fight or flee a situation for survival. Depression is the next step that occurs like in deeper levels of, of our neuro neurology, um, you know, to go into shutdown. So it's a more desperate attempt to survive a situation through freezing. Um, you know, like I said before, uh, it's when we realize that fighting or fleeing would be futile, which is almost always unconscious. Um, so simply put, you have to go through anxiety to get to the depression. Um, so, or, and the other way around, um, you know, it just depression exists on a deeper level. But um, yeah, that's that's really a lot of the the work, and um, yeah, I don't know if you have some thoughts, but I, I have another question for you, Mr. Blue. Yes. 
Okay. What are some considerations you make when you're working with anxious or depressed clients? Like, what are things you might do differently or things that you pay attention to or, um, I don't know, anything that comes to mind? I pay attention to what might be triggered them, their diet, their environment, their um, interactions with others, um, any upcoming events that might be impacting them. Also, look at myself. I mean, am, am, am I a trigger for um, anxiety? Do we need to go to a different place to do the session? Do we need to conduct the session differently? Um, um, making sure, you know, the right voice, I'm using, utilizing the right voice or, you know, because you don't know. You know sometimes just, you know, if they come into an office, you know, a lot of my sessions might be um, well, now virtual, but, you know, in their home, some people do come to my office and maybe that environment is, is triggering for them anxiety because of the power differential, you know, as a therapist and a client in a home looks, looks and feels a lot differently in an office setting. Um, and though we're not as impactful in a, in a Zoom session, which has its own issues. Um, and that, you know, just figuring out, letting them be, being open enough to understand and not always having to have, not always having the answer as a therapist, you know what I'm saying? They actually, they have the answer, you know, let them open up to figure out, you know, what's going on with them themselves. And through that declaration, maybe we can find out how to effectively deal with their anxiety as well as depression. But like I said, look at, you know, some of the common things that might be feeding it. You know, an intake of caffeine could induce a, a, a heavier load of anxiety cake and ice cream I mean, you know the, the diet could be a high contributor you know yeah or being on you some mind altering substances you know marijuana alcohol cocaine um if they're on diet meds that could definitely you know punctuate it to some degree yeah adhd meds mm-hmm. right i have a lot of clients they, they, they purposely seek those out for some reason you know I can't focus. Are you working? I don't think what you need to focus on. <laughs> I love that you you visit clients at their home and you provide mobile therapy. I think that's really rare. Um, but you're right, and it's actually one of the precepts of feminist psychotherapy. Oh my God, your kiddo's back there with a with a flag beard. So cute. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, not a lot of places do that, but it, you know, like I said, it's one of the precepts of feminist psychotherapy that you try to disempower the therapist to a large extent because you want to empower the client. They are the expert in their own experience, but they're they're going to be a little more guarded and defensive um, if you're not trying to level the playing field when it comes to power dynamics. So I I just think you're brilliant. <laughs> I'm really glad. Well, it's not something I came up with when I was in my um, internship. I used to go to Webster University and Dr. D. Hannah Morrison, she worked in a rural community and she knew, or at least she thought, she was right, I'm sure, that these rural clients who lived far, far, far away from any office setting needed people to go to them to get it done. And it just makes more sense to me. Yeah. And it gives the power back to the client, you know what I'm saying? And I can, as a therapist, I can see more of what's going on in your home versus them telling me. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's great for assessment to like see, yeah, someone's home. And especially if you can watch them interact with family members or roommates or whatever. Yeah. It's very like telling, very informative. 
Yeah, I think uh, I love the considerations that you make. I make some of those as well. Um, one thing that I also really like to do in terms of like empowerment is really um, provide knowledge. You know, knowledge is power. So, um, you know, it's our job to teach clients what's going on for them. Um, how maybe for me that includes like how the nervous system works. But um, psychoeducation is what we call that, and uh, it's always woven into the work that I do with my clients. Indeed. I feel like the more you know about your issue, the better your effects will be able to deal with it. And, you know, we don't learn this in school. We don't learn this in our family systems a lot of times. So we have to learn it in therapy. I also find that people who get therapy are better equipped to deal with crises or issues than those that never got it. In my experience, I noticed that a lot of the clinicians I work with did not fare well in 2020. Other clients did very well because they already had a skill base able to effectively deal with these types of issues, not necessarily a pandemic, but being triggered, being having anxiety, having depression, you know, versus the therapist who is supposed to be the experts. <laughs> We're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And just really, I've seen some burnout. I've seen a lot of issues with that population of those that didn't necessarily get therapy themselves. I prescribe to, I prescribe to therapists need therapy and those that don't necessarily get it are really doing themselves and their population that they serve a disservice. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And like I mentioned earlier, a lot of therapists are drawn to the field because they're experiencing, they've experienced um, basically psychological distress and are trying to make sense of it. A lot of us work through that, you know, during our, our scholastic endeavors. Um, some people don't, but in my experience, therapists tend to be a bunch of like navel gazers, like really kind of obsessed with their own emotions and like needing things to be a certain way. So I can see that. Yeah, I know some really like finicky, <laughs> just very like self-involved therapists. So I, yeah, I, I've seen a lot struggle during this time of crisis as well. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I, I imagine you do this as well, but another thing that I like to do with especially anxious or depressed clients and, and those who vacillate between the two frequently, I really like to be um, super vigilant around monitoring their states so of like nervous system hyper or hypo arousal, sharing with them what I'm witnessing. When I said this, your, your body slumped. It seemed like you were going into a shutdown state. Um, and just reflecting that because a lot of people don't have people who are reflecting these things to them. So it, it helps them learn what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, so, you know, like I mentioned interoception earlier, but, um, you know, doing that can help clients develop that interoception. So, um, you know, it also helps make sure that we're not pushing somebody past their healthy window of tolerance. So if you're seeing a client who's like, go, who's, they start kicking their leg and picking up their skin or pinching themselves or, or going into this shutdown state, that's a cue to the therapist to, um, to kind of reg to help regulate, to get back on track uh, with a regulated state before moving forward. Because if we don't do that, we're really just reinforcing, you know, traumatic uh, neural pathways, and we could even be re-traumatizing our clients. So, and at the very least, we're just not helping because you can't, you're not learning in that state. If you're hyper or hypo aroused, you're not, your prefrontal cortex is offline and you're not learning. So it's important um, to monitor and not push somebody too hard. Indeed, indeed. Thank you for bringing that perspective to the forefront. That's definitely something I want to marinate on and think about, especially regarding interoception. I mean, it's a concept I'm not familiar with, but definitely want to read up more about. 
Well, I would love to know about your book. <laughs> I want to know more about your book. Like, what's the content like? What inspired it? And of course, where can we buy it? <laughs> My book. I was doing a conference for NAMI Durham, and I, they wanted to talk about pandemic and you know how it was impacting people and they wanted to develop support groups out of it so i had a conference discussion forum thing one weekend and so you know i had to do so many powerpoints and great video and media and things like that and there was a lot of questions that came up a lot of concerns that came up during this thing you know it seemed my, my powerpoint really wasn't that important they wanted to discuss what they wanted to discuss and ask the questions they wanted to ask that's fine, you know. So I use the PowerPoint for something else down in the future. <laughs> so um, when I these questions came up, and yeah, I had some of the answers, but some of the answers I didn't have. And so I was just jotting down some things that I told them I would follow up with them on, and I emailed it to them. So after writing, it came up to be about a hundred pages of dialogue or literature. I said, "Well, this, this is easy—a little, a little baby mini book of some sort." Let me send this ebook to all these people. Let me put it on Amazon to see who else could utilize or um, it can help, especially those with the um, Amazon Prime um, option. They can read it for free, right? Um, so that's what I did. And it was called, you know, Post-Pandemic Depression, Anxiety, and Strategies to Deal with It Effectively. So it's just basically assessing, you know, what's causing you to have depression or anxiety, self-assessment, and then different strategies you can deal, deal with it effectively. Um, taking care of yourself, eating correctly, you know what I'm saying, addressing your spirituality, resting appropriately, um, making sure you have the right supports around you. Quick read, you know what I'm saying? Some people, they say they can read it when they're, they're pottying. I say you're sitting on the potty way too long. <laughs> and um, a lot of therapists I know, they, um, they bought it and they utilize techniques and strategies in it. And they, they say that they find it very beneficial. I thought somewhat out the box regarding some strategies, some things I might have learned while I was in the military or some things I might have learned just because and I had this thing for acronyms. So I threw an acronym in there and I made it work. Wait, I got to pause you. I want to know more about strategies that you, you learned in the military um, that aren't really traditional therapy. Oh, no, I'm not sure. They might be more traditional, but I learned them in the military. So that's what I associate with them. HALT is the one, the acronym. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Don't allow yourself to get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, too tired. Um, nurse, um, address your nourishment. I haven't heard nurse. Yeah, I don't remember the, the words, but it's in my book. <laughs> Spirituality, eating appropriately. Well, by the book. Rehabilitation, resting appropriately. Um, I can't remember what the U is for. But yeah. Um it's things like that, you know. Um, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the strategies utilized in the military, especially coming out of Vietnam, transitioned themselves into modern day therapy to some degree. Um, no, I want to say they were maybe they were experimented on them. Already, they saw a great need there in that population, and then they saw that it worked for the um, the regular population. One of the modules that we use here in North Carolina is called the Illness Management Recovery Modules. And it's um, by SAMHSA. Well, SAMHSA has it now. And it came out of a military doctor, a military way of doing things regarding health. And they say that it's 90% effective. I found that it's 60% effective. I don't know why they get these inflated numbers from, but you know. <laughs> 
multi-systemic therapy. Some some people say they can find a source of it based on some military focus on how to do things or how they did they address people's mental health and wellness. I wasn't able to find that connection, but some people say that. Some of the um, veteran um, physicians and therapists I work with, and with that, you're basically finding the sources that impact that particular issue and dealing with those sources effectively. Um, utilizing what they call like a fit circle. So maybe in the middle of your fit circle, you talk about your you're feeling sad or depressed and then from that circle comes the lines what's driving your depression so it might be your financial situation it might be your housing situation it might be your your relationship with your wife it might be your kids aren't doing what you're doing so then developing strategies action plans and interventions to deal with each of those issues in order to alleviate your feelings of depression I guess it does make sense, although you said you're not you're not aware of how that connection was made, but like it does make sense that like a multi-system entity like the military would would really contribute to the development of that modality. Hmm. That sounds really cool, really like um, you know diverse content. Like there's a lot to read and a lot of different considerations to me. Yes, 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 indeed, indeed, and it's just a, it's just a taste for what's to come. My next book. Yeah. Don't allow yourself to get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So we deal with strategies to deal with each of those issues in order to be a better you and navigate this world accordingly. And then one day I'll release my book from Crip, the counselor. But I was advised to release it posthumously because of some of the um, content. Wow. <laughs> well, I hope you live till you're like 150, but I also want to read that book, so. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I might release it in such a way that it's not me, but it's based on a true story that might be able to, so I can release it a little, a lot earlier. But it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely, it's a tale regarding, you know, just the things I went through in order to get to where I'm at today. I think, I know for a fact that if I didn't go through some of those things, I wouldn't be where I'm at today, at least yeah, by any means, because honestly, I was supposed to be a rapper. I was a rapper, no. A birdie rap on your podcast. <laughs> right, well, thank you. Um... But no, nah, you know, it could have went a lot of different ways. I think what impacted me is I wanted to be what I wanted to receive or what I should have received. And that's where I am today, doing the work in such a way that if I was on the opposite side, that that's the, what I would want to receive in order to be better, in order to get through what I'm getting through. That's what I commit myself to doing. Yeah, I my, my youth, my mental health, in the military, after the fact, after my brother was killed, it's things that impacted me where I didn't really get what I needed. And it might have been just based on who I went to or you know, the reasons why I went through or even my background that contributed to that therapeutic approach being impacted on me. Um, I think mental health has changed a lot since then. It has it had to because it's here. We're talking about like 95, 96, um, in which a lot of that stuff happened. And um, I see a lot of good clinicians coming to the field that are doing a great job. I find that the, the old fogey ones though probably need to bring stuff aside. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, there are some good seasoned vets, but the, but you know our knowledge base has changed and people have changed, culture has changed, like so much has changed that it is important to stay current. And I think you know yeah we have to get CEUs you know to stay you know to keep our licensures. I just think that you know even us, even as, you know, the, the younger clinicians, you know, just get ones that are appropriate to address some of the issues 
that we didn't cover in school, that weren't covered in school, that might be impacting the population right now. Like, uh, we didn't know nothing about no millennials. When I was in school, or their issues, which, you know, seemed like, what, y'all dealing with, y'all suffering on that? Yes, I am you know, there's there's a a lot of movement in terms of like gender identity. Right. There's things right. that like weren't really happening when right. Right. one yeah. person who identified you know as a transgender in school that was just one you know and he was very he embraced this stuff so people that's you know going through you know these transitions in life and are not feeling like themselves in their bodies mm-hmm. wasn't something that was covered by at any degree in my master's program I, I have all right. my books and I look through them all the time and I was like well it's not there but I have been able to get that training through CEUs through you know, um, curriculum based trainings and stuff like that after the fact years after the fact which helped me effectively address the issues in practice but you know some things are outside of my scope so I trans- I you know will refer appropriately to people that have a better understanding of that issue that went to a school that readily addressed that issue in therapy. <laughs> Your kiddo's back there with the beard too. Again, so cute. <laughs> and I'm back. <laughs> uh, do you have any final thoughts or anything that's just like randomly popping in your mind that you want to share? Yes, yes. We had a, a rough couple of years. The last couple of weeks were really jarring to a lot of people. I think that um, change is hard. And I think it's going to be, this year is going to be very interesting. I want people to you know, address their wellness and recovery appropriately and do what they need to do in order to do so. As um, it's not an on-off switch regarding change. Yeah things that we've seen, the things that we experienced aren't going to go away overnight. Not in a year, not in two years, in my opinion. We've seen a lot of a lot of pain, a lot of hate, a lot of fear that might increase in the next couple of weeks or months. But to just to deal with it effectively, you know what I'm saying? Pray about it. Um, write about it. Talk to others about it. Whether it's a therapist, family member, or other natural support. And, um, We'll get through this much like we got through anything else, I suppose. Um, utilize podcasts, utilize journaling, utilize books that are on Amazon or on Barnes and Nobles. You know, there's a lot, a lot of great literature out there that can help people get through their issues or effectively to think differently or develop strategies for yourself. Like we said before, or like you said, you know, sometimes, you know, people can't get it because of various means, whether it's financial, whether it's culture and impact, but, you know, you can get it through other means to some degree, you know what I'm feel you can't afford it. There are ways you can't afford it. Betterhelp.com, some systems like where I live at have what they call IPRS funding, which means people can get mental health and psychiatry help at no cost to them. It's state funded in that way. Um, and then, you know, support groups like NAMI. Most states have NAMI. I think all 50 states have NAMI. They can get support through support groups or other resources via that program. No matter where you're at in the United States, you can utilize um, services like United Way and simply dial that resource to get the information regarding 
any subject regarding your wellness and recovery, as well as other case management needs, simply by dialing 211 in your telephone. And that's any landline and now cell phones. If you're having a crisis, text 721721, home or help. And then you can use text crisis lines. And then, of course, there's the 1-800-SUICIDE crisis line as well. Some people prefer to text to get through their issues. Mm-hmm. Number of resources out there. Google is an excellent way to access those resources. And there's really no excuse not to get the help you need in 2021. I love that. Yeah. I agree. I mean, just fill your cup however you can. Um, you know, if that's reading self-help books, if that's just, yeah, just going into like a rabbit hole on the internet, the, you know, the chat groups, the, the blogs, there's so much out there and it doesn't have to be therapy. Um, therapy can be incredibly powerful and helpful in a lot of ways, but get the help however you can. You don't have to talk to a person one-on-one to do that necessarily. Some people do. Um, Thank you. How can people, you know, find out more about your movement? Uh, you know, really, I, I just have the podcast and my Instagram is probably the best way to get a hold of me or to learn more about the podcast. Um, so my uh, my Instagram is amygordon1985, amygordon1985. Um, you're welcome to find me on there. Um, I post a lot of like adventure therapy pics, so it can be pretty fun if you're if you're interested in being outdoorsy and how therapy works with the outdoors and the way to integrate like novel experiences with therapy. Um, that's something I do post a lot about. So I'd love to see you there. Um, that's about it for me. And how about you? How can we find out more about you and, and what you're up to, your books, your podcasts, etc. www.morethantherapy.org. That's www.morethantherapy.org. February 6th, I'll be doing, I don't know if this will be released before or after that, a racial trauma retreat in which we'll talk about some of the issues regarding the trauma of racial disparities here in America. And that's a whole forum, discussion forum, lasting about three hours. And that's Vietnami, as I think we need to talk about these issues, as a lot of these issues truly impact the population in ways that are just being seen in therapy. Oh, it's so important. Yeah, check it out. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you.